Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay at the Real Pod Vader, <laughs> and we are always listening. Uh, Jay, uh, welcome back. We took a little bit of extra time off last week. I was traveling last week, so we got in the extra episode about the Gimlet, and then then we had to take a week off. But we're back. We're a little bit early this week, even because. Uh, and I'll go ahead and tell people that have been listening to the show. A lot of them uh, have been following me online for a long time. Maybe you already know this, but my wife is going through a little bit of a, a medical emergency. She had her thyroid out last week. We've got a follow up this week. We're hopeful that uh, they got all of the cancer out and that we won't have to to do any you know heavy follow-up medical procedures, but we're going to keep our eyes on that. And so because of that, the scheduling for the next couple of weeks may be weird. We may go on Mondays instead of Tuesdays or whatever. Uh, as two unemployed men about town, <laughs> we can go whenever we want to, right, Jay? <laughs> well, listen, you know, life is definitely more important than any stupid podcast. So uh, <laughs> if we have to take multiple weeks off, we will. That's right. That's right. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for everybody for the well wishes and stuff, too. We've had a lot of uh, great response from friends. You know, it's interesting. Jay, I talk to people all the time about podcasting. Uh, it's a one-way relationship, right? Like you get to know the hosts very intimately, but they don't know you really. And you feel like you know their kids and, and you know the fights they have with their wife and you know uh, the struggles they had coming up in their career and all of these different things. It becomes a very intimate relationship. Well, it's interesting to hear people who follow you online and who feel that way about you, but you maybe don't feel uh, as connected to them. But then they come forward in a moment like that and there's telling, oh, hey, I'm thinking about you and Kelly. I hope things go well. Hope everything went well this week. Hope you guys had a great trip, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, kudos and thank you for all of those well wishes. As part of that trip, though, <laughs> this is something that we had planned beforehand, Jay. But since we were going to for the surgery this week anyway, it worked out really well. She and I went to New Orleans. We went down on Sunday and we went for a live show of My Brother, My Brother and Me. I talked about this the other day, but I want to talk a little bit about how the show went specifically and then also what it means to you as a podcaster or a podcast listener and and different ways that you might can take this experience and and use it in your own life. Um yeah, first I off, definitely have some questions for you about, about First off, it was great. This. It was amazing. Yeah. They had it, they had it in the Orpheum Theater, which is not one of the biggest theaters in New Orleans. The Sanger was where I thought it was going to be. Uh the Orpheum was right around the corner. It's just off Canal Street and uh it was a, a beautiful space. I think they held probably you know, a thousand, maybe twelve hundred seats total. Uh and it was pretty well packed. They apparently had problems selling tickets early on, at least in comparison to their regular sellout rate. Uh, they were really pumping it on their show, I know, especially, and they were trying to, you know, hey, everybody, if you're close, we really need this show, um, et cetera, et cetera. But then in the end, it was a good turnout. So when you say they had trouble selling early on compared to their early sellout rate, is this a new area for them? Like, so, yeah, they this... have not been to okay. New Orleans before. Uh, they they travel a lot. So they're the the family is based in West Virginia, but there's a brother in Austin, and there's uh used to be a brother in L.A., but he's back in West Virginia now, actually. So there's two of them that live there, and then one in Austin. Uh, they do a lot of shows, live shows in Austin. They've done some live shows out in L.A. They've done a bunch in like New York and Chicago and Boston and, you know, the big cities like that. Where um, podcasting is huge. Yeah, exactly. All of the major metropolitan areas where, where podcasting is huge. And they've even done like some good national tours, but New Orleans just hadn't been on the list yet. So this was their first time down here. They did Birmingham. Uh, like two days before, and then they did two nights in a row in New Orleans for one for each of their main shows. They've got a Dungeons and Dragons show, and then they've got the the uh, the comedy advice show. And so, by they the did, way, just just analyzing some of those cities again: Birmingham, College Town, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in New Orleans has like what, like four universities. They got Suno, they got Loyola, they got Tulane. And there's one that I'm forgetting. Um, they do, but I'm just sort of I'm just sort of thinking about this when you when you say like they struggled early on, and you start looking at sort of where most podcast listening happens. Like we know the two meccas mm. in pretty much any media in life is New York and L.A. So if you're going to do something in those two cities, you're good. Um, Chicago is obviously another hotbed uh, for media activity. Uh, Boston is always going to be thrown in there, but Boston's definitely lower than. Uh, some of those other cities. So when you talk about New Orleans in terms of like media and media penetration, it's definitely much, much lower on the list. I don't know exactly what their Nielsen rating is. You know, Nielsen has all the cities ranked. I believe New York is still number one and LA is still number two and Chicago, I think is number three. But in terms of total numbers of households and that, that watch television, um, that's sort of how they rank the cities. And I don't know where New Orleans is on that list. I'm going to guess they're probably in the 20s somewhere. And so think about this, too, for podcasts, because I know podcasters beyond just these guys want to do live events. There's podcasters out there that don't want that, that are doing live events. One of the podcasts I'm going to recommend later in the show just did a live event in Austin. And again, Austin is a special city because uh, not only does it have that college connection, but it's also got South by Southwest. So they're very uh, they're very podcast centric in Austin. It's a very podcast friendly city. Well, live performance period. They that is a that is a live performance city, and so they are very hip to pay you know ten dollars, fifteen dollars, fifty dollars at the door, whatever, and come in to see whatever it is that you're going to put on. <laughs> you know. So to hear so to hear that a podcast type event sort of struggled early on to sell tickets in new Orleans makes sense to me. Like well, it's, it's something to sort of make note of the other thing regionally, of course, to think about, and I don't know that they, I mean, I'm sure this was just a convenient space on their calendar to make a Southern, uh, trip, you know, but, um, it's festival. It's carnival season. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's Mardi Gras mm-hmm. season right now in New Orleans. So, like, literally every day there's something going on. As a matter of fact, on Saturday, there was a, a fairly big, uh, parade, uh, that was at the same time as their Saturday night show, uh, Chewbacca's, uh, which is a, a newer parade, but it's it's a you know a popular one. Um, so there's something always going on in New Orleans, and I think that that might have added to their at least their initial stumbles and in, in selling that one out. But I don't again, I don't think it actually sold out, but it was very full. I think they had a, a you know more than enough to cover their expenses and make some money and, and make it a good trip for them. Uh, and the the brothers in particular raved about the city both in person and then online as well. They talked about what a good time they had for the trip. Here's the thing that I think podcasters and podcast listeners can can both take away from this. You know, Jay, the uh, the McElroy Brothers, Mabimba Bam, is one of the shows that I have supported in the past through a subscription. I've, I joined the – they're a member of the Max Fund Network, Maximum Fund. Uh, Jesse Thorne, who's a really good guy, he was one of the podcast pioneers. He started this thing coming out of, you know, college radio uh, and, and built it on his own, and he's done a great job. Maximum Fund is one of the premier networks, in my opinion, on the way that they handle creators and the way that they treat their shows. They do a wonderful job. Uh, and so I didn't have any problem being a, a member of that network and subscribing. I think I was in for like five or six bucks a month. So, you know, around 60 bucks a year. And I ended up falling off of that for one reason or another. I think at the end, I ended up supporting somebody else, a smaller independent podcast directly instead of the network overall for that one. 
But this is a place where I haven't spent any money on Mabimba Bam in several months, maybe even a year or two. But now for this trip, Kelly and I both went out and we bought $50 plus tickets to attend this event. Uh, and the vast majority of that money goes to them. Now, obviously, Ticketmaster takes a piece. There's fees, et cetera, et cetera. They're spending money on the venue. But a big chunk of that 50 bucks goes straight to the McElroy brothers. Um, so... If you are the kind of person who thinks to yourself, yeah, I'd like to support these podcasters, but like, I can't sign up for a five-buck subscription for everybody. You've talked about that. Crowdfunding just isn't sustainable mm. uh, across the whole of podcast listening. This is a way, I think, that people often overlook to go out and support podcasters directly, and it is incredibly fulfilling on both sides. Think about what this did, the whole transaction here. For me and my wife, we got... Uh, an evening out of town in a local city that we really enjoy. So even if you're in a rural area like we are and the podcasters aren't going to come to you, there's a New Orleans or a similar size city somewhere four or five hours away. You can go spend one night in a cheap hotel. We did hotel tonight. We did like 60 bucks for a hotel. Uh, we got a great hotel in the French Quarter. Got a great deal on that. We stayed right there uh, on the street. We were on a balcony, you know, overlooking the French Quarter the whole evening. Um the whole thing, though, about 200 bucks, you know, for gas down there, the hotel and the tickets themselves. And yet a wonderful event that she and I will remember for years to come. It makes the podcast better for us now because like we have those in-person memories that will tie us to it. The content, the jokes that they make in the future, every time they reference something that happened on that episode, like it'll be a special memory for us. For the podcaster, for the McElroy brothers, they could have made that money from me in a subscription, sure, but they got to go to New Orleans and spend two days with their families, hanging out, enjoying the city, uh, getting the direct adulation and affection from the listeners, like that direct feedback. Yes, we like what you're doing. We appreciate the thing you're making for us, as well as the monetary return. Like, So again, I just feel like on the whole, when you can support podcasters directly like that through a live event when possible, um, and it doesn't have to be a live podcast either. I think about our buddy Nick Suberling, who does the live events for the uh, Cincinnati Fire for his the soccer team that they cover. You know, they travel with listeners of the podcast to a game. They have a barbecue. You know, they have a party beforehand or afterhand or whatever. And yeah, he's making a little money on that for facilitating everything. But that's, again, a way that his audience can show him directly, can spend that money straight to him and give him a great experience as well as themselves Again, it's just it's a much more personal way to make that transaction than than just you know doing that auto pay five dollars six dollars a month. Anyway, I just came away from it incredibly um, positive. I, I'm you know I'm happy with them. I'm happy with spending the money on the show. I feel better about their other products now. Like I, I want to do more um, <laughs> for them, honestly. And I, I feel like anytime you can make that personal connection. So as a podcaster too, you should take that and think to yourself, okay, well, I'm not the McElroys. Maybe I can't do a national tour, but there are places in your listening audience where you have hotbeds of listeners, where you have dedicated sections of your audience where you could say, let's get together and do something. What, could we do a pub crawl? Maybe it's, again, maybe it's not a live show. Maybe it's an event around the thing that your podcast listeners are interested in in that you can help facilitate. You can make a little money while also giving your listeners and yourself a great experience. That, that's what I see for live podcasting, I think is re really exciting. I'm glad you brought up 
a smaller podcast because the Macro Brothers are obviously a larger podcast. They have a very large following. They've been doing this for a number of years. Like six. Uh, has it been six? Um, I thought they've been around even longer than that. But well, maybe so. Case, it's a long time, though. Yeah. But in any case, they, that that's a show that's been around for a long time, and they have a ginormous audience. Plus, they have a ginormous built-in audience from their other career, uh, which is that of, I believe, they're stand-up comedians. Am I well, incorrect? Well, so they've all done a little bit of everything, but uh, one of the brothers is way into theater. The other two brothers were both video game writers. That's like how they really came yeah. up. So they had a, a huge video game audience when they first started. They've they've done also. They've even had a TV show now. You know, they had a, they had a, a streaming TV show uh, one season. So. So, yeah, they've, they've, again, not everybody can replicate that, but. So, so, but, so to that degree, like when you're thinking about doing a live event uh, to the scale of what the McElroy brothers are doing, understand what kind of audience it takes to, to produce that sort of thing. I know of another podcaster, I'm not going to mention their name because they probably don't want me talking about their business, but I know that they break even on their live events and it's still worth it to him to do that. Because ultimately, the connection he's making with his audience is a much closer one. Plus, the event, it really is an event. It's not a, I'm just going to go and do a regular episode of my podcast. I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to bring in other people, very special guests who wouldn't normally be on the podcast. Because I'm in their area, they're going to come out. They're going to show up. We're going to do, you know, maybe some signings afterwards. So it all works out in the end. But ultimately, he's just breaking even on the deal where where he's not making a little bit of money. Uh, but like I said, it's worth it for him. It does help maybe drive a couple more patrons um, to his Patreon. But ultimately, that's that's tough to tell. That's tough to quantify and, and to measure. The other thing I wanted to mention is exactly what you were talking about. Like, so how can you do it on a smaller scale? And like you said, maybe doing local pub crawls, something like that. That could be something that could be very um, doable. Uh, the sports podcasters, you know, I'm very big into sports. The sports organizations, and I've, I've spoken with a couple about their live events. They do them in conjunction to something that they're already doing. So like if they're at the Super Bowl, all of that stuff is already paid for. So now doing a live event at a local pub or a local uh, venue somewhere nearby where the Super Bowl is, is just icing on the cake. That's how they make money out of it. And then anything beyond that, if they do any other sort of event, is always conjoined with some other business that's happening so that it's always making money. It's not even a break-even thing anymore. It's a, it, It's always looking forward. So... If you can do that, if you if you travel for your job or if you uh, if you have something related to your job and you're going to be in a certain area, doing a live event in conjunction with that, I think works rather well. And I think there's a couple that will be doing that during Podfest uh, in particular. I believe I believe our buddy uh, Trivial Warfare, uh, Jonathan Oakes, is going to be doing a live uh, Trivial Warfare at uh, Podfest. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if it's a full episode. I, so last year they did the first live episodes there. They did uh, Congressional Dish and Gamer Tag Radio. Both had a live episode, and I think th- they were both successful. Although they ran them against each other, which wasn't great. And they ran mm-hmm. them. It was some other event going on at the same time, so it was very complicated. Not everybody got to go to everything that they wanted to do. I hope they're going to space them out a little bit more this year. I know the Trivial Warfare thing. 
I think is going to be part of the um, the mixer, like the opening night mixer, I think is going to be basically Trivial Warfare, which would be very exciting. He's also doing, Jonathan's doing a live show at uh, Geek Bowl, I think this year in like mm. August or something like that. So the, the, he's he's got, I think he's sort of ramping up to some real live play. The complication for him in particular is the fact that the final product that you get on the podcast is so heavily edited to help tighten it right. up because, you know, there's, you're thinking a lot obviously about the answers and so like to try to do that in a more fast paced style i think the game's gonna have to change a little bit but i think he's got some good ideas on that too um but i i think about jay the idea of like partnering with a local pub or tavern or a bar or a restaurant that you've got a relationship with you know yeah okay so you're traveling back and forth to a major city from let's say well okay like i'm i'm living in north louisiana and let's say i had a business that i was working with on a regular basis in baton rouge or new orleans you could get a relationship with a bar and say, hey, listen, I'm going to bring somewhere around 50, maybe 75 people in tonight, and we're going to play this thing. You know, could, could you, would you like to have 75 new people in your bar tonight? <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, we would like to have 75 new people in our bar tonight. And you're like, awesome. Could I hang a banner for my show in the front to make sure that people know that this is the right place? And they'll probably be like, yeah, probably wouldn't even charge you anything. Like perhaps might hook you up with some sort of deal if you talk about it and work on it ahead of time. So like, again, I think there are ways to do that on a lower budget, on a smaller scale, to have a lot of fun, to make that impact on your listeners and to give yourself a great experience, even if it's not about adding a whole lot into the coffers, yeah, I think you can do it without making it a, a business expense either. So I, I was walking away thinking, okay, what is the always listening live show that we got to come up with now? There you go. Uh, I don't know where, where our hotbeds are. We'll have to look at the the, uh, the stats uh, on that pod, and see. Podcasting conferences. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty that's much it. where our people are. We could rock and roll at PodFest and Podcast Movement. There we go. <laughs> then we could deal with the hecklers uh, heckling us from the crowd live <laughs> and, as we're recording. be great. So, Jay, let's get into the news here. And uh, I got one that I wanted to, to work with, work through pretty quickly. Uh, this was on Twitter. I don't know this young man. Nathan Bashes is his name. He's on Twitter at NBA Shaw. We're going to have a link in the show notes to this thread. Uh, he's working for Progress at Substack Inc., he says. He was previously at Gimlet Media and at Hardbound and at Product Hunt. Uh, so he's been around. He is uh, verified on Twitter as well. And he says in the very first post, he briefly worked at Gimlet, but he has no inside information. He's just a curious observer. He's made 10 podcasting predictions. This was in response to last week's news of Spotify buying both Gimlet Media and Anchor uh, FM. And, of course, we covered that in detail in our last episode. You can go and hear our thoughts on that. But uh, these predictions are pretty good. Some of them specifically we hadn't mentioned or hadn't gotten to this idea, and I wanted to hear your take on it. First and foremost, he says that uh, Spotify will make it easy for anyone to create audio ads using Anchor's technology and build targeting tools similar to Facebook. So we were talking last week, lots of people have used the phrase, the YouTube of audio. He's angling towards the Facebook of audio, which is an interesting idea. What do you think about that? You know, Facebook basically came in and took over web advertising in a lot of ways, Jay, uh, with their growth and dominance there. Will, he says Spotify could do the same for audio advertising. I agree. I just don't know if Anchor's technology necessarily amplifies what Spotify already has. I think, you know, Spotify already had some sort of technology to track what their music listeners uh, were doing to provide recommendations for other music that they would like and 
they were obviously already advertising on their platform before they brought in podcasts. I think, quite honestly, I don't know if we remember, if we talked about it here on this podcast, but Tom Webster wrote an article about the impact of the Gimlet Anchor um, acquisition and mentioned how this is all about spoken word. And the less that Spotify has to pay for music licensing, because they do have to pay a pretty penny for the rights to broadcast that music on their platform, uh, the less that they have to pay for that. So if they get 25% of their audience now listening to podcasts that don't have any music in it and thus don't require any music licensing, uh, they are saving themselves millions of dollars by transferring that listening audience and getting that share of ear off of the music, which they have to pay for, to the spoken word, which they don't. Um, I think that's part of the bigger deal here. In terms of ads created that work similar to Facebook, there's a lot of companies that are already doing that. Perhaps the company that I used to work for was doing that uh, at full scale for a number of years at this point. Um, I don't know how many times I have to say this. For some reason, people seem to want to ignore the job that I used to do. But uh, the place exists and the technology exists. So it's just a matter of putting it on a bigger place to get a larger audience to prove more that it works. So his second point, though, is directly to something that you have talked about for a long time, the idea of fiefdoms, these little fiefdoms of advertising and these little fiefdoms of audio to sell against, and that that was going to be a problem uh, as there was no one place for advertisers to go to, which is what they want. The ad agencies want to just, okay, well, I go to this guy and I buy all the podcasts. Uh, he says advertisers will increasingly buy from Spotify and move away from working directly with pod podcast creators. You know, our buddy Todd Cochran has talked about that long-term relationship with GoDaddy. Folks like that might not go away, but how many podcasters that are getting those initial reaches directly from folks like, you know, HelloFresh or whatever, or from the small advertising agencies like uh, what Jessica Kupferman used to do, and those are... Are, are those going to exist in this new media landscape? I, I think there's a possibility where he's right. I know ad buyers will take the easy route. And if they can call one person and just spend all the money and feel confident that that'll look good on the spreadsheet, why wouldn't they do it? I know. Uh, we've we've definitely talked about that. And, and to add to that is 2B is this basically mirrors what happened with Facebook and web publishers. So... It again, it becomes one of those things where if you have one 800-pound gorilla versus you know 10 80-pound gorillas or 108-pound gorillas, you'd rather work with the one 800-pound gorilla than the hundreds of smaller guys. It's just it's just more efficient for the advertiser that way. The other thing that I've thought about recently, Jay, is this: it's protection for the ad agency and or the advertiser themselves, the client. If you think about it, all of this current uh, brouhaha about different uh, broadcasters, uh, different people having sort of offensive messages or maybe something comes out about their old tweets or turns out that they uh, sexually harass their staff or whatever. If you're not buying directly from the, from the person, if you're not, if you don't have a relationship with the producer, what you do have a relationship with is a giant tech company, in this case, Spotify, that you're buying advertising from, then you're relying on Spotify and you're able to, in a case of, of a controversy like that, say, oh, it wasn't us. 
we we just gave Spotify the money and spot and then Spotify can come out very quickly and ban that person from their advertising network and then it's all fine and everybody's butt is covered. That's not something that I thought about previously, but I do think it's not just laziness. It might be it's it's butt covering too. It's it's protection. I I, I think there's a little less of that. I don't I don't know how how well that that argument would work oh it wasn't us it was we gave all our money to spotify it's spotify's problem i don't know how well that argument would work in in the court of public opinion but um i mean there's a little bit of that but i don't think that's a i don't think that has as far reaching an implication as you might think spotify will begin to pay its podcast creators in a similar way that youtube pays its creators this is nathan's third they're already doing it yeah that's exactly what they're doing well i mean it's what anchor was doing already too right even before they were bought it that the monetization plan from anchor is very very similar to the monetization plan from youtube well it's more to the effect that they're bringing in big name talent like amy schumer jamel hill and they're paying them uh, a good chunk of money to start their podcasts and be spotify exclusives or uh, create their content specifically with spotify in mind that sort of thing so that's already something that's happening uh, the fourth one, Spotify will funnel a lot of budget through Gimlet in a similar way that Netflix funnels a lot of budget through Ted Sarandos's content org. Uh, and then the fifth one, which is sort of tied to that, Gimlet will manage less in-house and work more with production companies. So it's a great time to start a Pineapple Street-style production company. Uh, I agree with both of these things. I, it, it's inherent. You and I talked last time about will Alex stay? Will Alex stay with Spotify long term? I will say this. In the immediate aftermath, the things that he and uh, the rest of the Gimlet team have said imply to me that he is happier with the deal than I thought in- initially, at least personally, and that it's possible that he may stay in some role, again, for a transitional period. I would not be surprised if he ends up there for a year or two sort of spearheading uh, their efforts or at least being like a uh, a figurehead of of their podcasting efforts. I do still think he'll end up making his own company because I think that's what he's geared to. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that maybe Gimlet does have a place there. But as those executives, as the heads of Gimlet currently sort of go away, I think it'll be more about management and oversight for other production companies and not necessarily in-house talent like we think of them today. Well, again, this is sort of like the HBO model, right? So HBO has its own production company, but then they also hire out to other production companies to make content on the HBO platform. So it does make a lot of sense. By the way, Pro Podcasting Solutions, Pod Vader Podcasting Solutions, both of those production companies are available for hire and for purchase, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very affordable, I guarantee you. Uh, Gimlet Creatives, this is the sixth assertion. Gimlet Creative will become the touchpoint for all big brands advertising in audio. Their work won't just appear in podcasts, but music and everything else in Spotify. Uh, I think there's something to that, too. The Gimlet name is powerful, that brand is powerful, and I think Spotify will lean into it, not wash it away over time i know that's what gimlet creative would want to happen i don't necessarily know if being associated with spotify helps amplify that mission and goal um to do to do stuff outside of the spotify universe certainly within the spotify universe it would make a lot of sense outside of the spotify universe i'm not 100 percent sure that that's actually actually going to happen 
number seven, the indie podcasting world will become even more activist, will develop an open source alternative to Anchor, and even more and become even more resistant to big podcasting. I definitely think the indie podcasters are going to become more virulent in their opposition to big podcasting. You can already see that in some of the Facebook groups. There is a uh, sort of a panic among some smaller podcasters who are having success. I will say this. I feel like the people that are new into the space largely have a positive view of this. The people who already have established little corners and, and, you know, fiefdoms from which to snipe, they're the ones that look a little worried right now. Um, And I don't know that they're wrong either. Um, I, I will say this, the open source alternative to anchor, I, I don't, I don't know that we need it. I, I understand the idea. The, the idea is that we need easier tools for creation and initial onboarding for podcasters. Well, it I leads to more people pod fading, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's one of those things where people come in, they test the waters and boom, you know, two thirds of anchors, <laughs> creators are all dead. It's like, so do we need more dead podcasts to gum up the discovery problem, which isn't really a problem. It's a your problem. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true either. The indie podcasting world will become more activist. I mean, we, the indie podcasting world's not going anywhere. Let's, let's start there. It's never going to be, uh, it's never going to be just pushed into a corner. I mean, there are independent music artists, there are independent television creators, there are independent filmmakers. Uh, so the independent community isn't going to disappear. Will it become a smaller aspect of the podcast industry as a whole? That I do believe is something that is coming because it's just, it's just a matter of time before dollars and cents just don't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, number eight, Netflix will look at acquiring Spotify and try to roll everything up in one mega bundle. I don't see that happening. It, first of all, it would be a, a hot huge, <laughs> it would be a huge acquisition for Netflix. It would be, I think it would be difficult in business terms to make it happen. Um, but also, both of those companies seem so laser focused, right? Like we we always thought, and we, you and I even talked about in the last show, we always thought somebody would buy up Netflix, and now basically they've they've outpaced they've or they're almost too big to be bought by anyone. Same thing with Spotify. We always sort of thought one of the big tech companies would acquire Spotify, and now they've they've raced out far enough that they're basically too big to be purchased. The idea of them teaming up, I understand why, particularly when they are facing behemoths like Google and Facebook and Amazon and Apple. But at the same time, you listen to the Spotify CEO the other day. He is laser focused on audio and he understands, I think, and the board understands if they truthfully own the audio space in the same way that Netflix owns video. They will have a long and productive and fruitful future. They won't have to give up that uh, goal to anybody else. They won't have to subsume themselves in, into another company, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't think it's necessary for either one of the companies. I don't, I don't think this is a move that would be required or even necessarily beneficial. That's the one thing in here that I disagree with Nathan on boldly. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. I don't have much to add to that other than I think that might have been his hottest of the takes uh, <laughs> that he was making there. Just sort of a bold prediction to put a bold prediction out there. So number nine, Google will sense the threat and invest a bit more into making their podcast app grow. This would be a good time to build an anchor competitor that they can snatch up. Uh, well, you and I talked about it. I mean, 
Spreaker's out there. They've got an app. They've got the technology. They've got the end-to-end stack. They've got the hosting provider. They've got the advertising technology, et cetera, et cetera. I would not be surprised if one of these big tech uh, companies makes a play at, at Spreaker. That would not be surprising to me at all. You look at the other players. Um, we mentioned it last week. I mean, Blueberry is, would be probably very affordable uh, out of the other big hosts. Um Libsyn is the one that I see the least likelihood of being snatched up by anybody, but also they don't have a great tech stack. They don't have a great mobile app for production. They don't, they don't even have great mobile Safari support (laughs) until very recently, you know? So I think they're the ones that are at the back end of that truck. Well, I think I mentioned it before. Libsyn's number one, Blueberry is number two, VoxNest Spreaker is number three in terms of the volume of customers that they have on their platforms. Um, and I don't, I'm not necessarily going to go down that road again here, but I will say that Google was already an investor in Anchor, as was Apple, which is another interesting note. App, both Apple and Google were investors in Anchor. Uh, so they made some money out of this acquisition. Uh, and to further that conversation that we mentioned, how one of the big things that we saw coming out of this was that all of the valuations of these companies were going to skyrocket uh, according to some, I don't. I guess they were publicly available documents. Uh, we now know that the purchase price, uh, or we assume that the purchase price, if we're to believe Gimlet was purchased for $230 million, that Anchor was purchased for $100 million, uh, which makes the valuation for the three companies that we just mentioned, which are much larger than Anchor, um, not much larger than $100 million. No. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, interesting times. I do think that that is the one that is most likely Google is going to make a play here. He, he follows that up, by the way. The number 10 assertion is that Apple, the sleeping giant, won't change much of anything. The stakes are still way too small and maniacal focus is built into their DNA. With their current push for services, why would they not take advantage? Um, yes, I understand the money is chump change, but it's only chump change now. The, we're we're heading towards a billion dollar industry. We will be growing, folks. Like they could own it. They could own it outright. Jay, it pisses me off that no one over there seems to be paying attention. Well, to both companies, Google and Apple, to me, neither company is going to make a play unless they know that they can make money off of the deal. Now, I've been saying for years there is money to be made for sure. It's easy money. It's layup money. It can be done very easily and very effectively on a large scale basis for all of these companies. Uh, It would be in their best interest to start doing this on such a large scale because it is literally it's literally just money that it's like growing a money tree. (laughs) I can't, I can't put it any more simplistic than that. Google and Apple could literally go and plant a money tree tomorrow and just start taking the dollars off the tree and putting it into whatever they wanted to. Apple has never, let's repeat this. Apple has never made one penny off of podcasting and the podcast app that they have provided out of the goodness of their heart to the podcasting industry, which is why when we talk about Mark Asquith's blog about Apple being the biggest threat, which he he since has come back to and said perhaps the better word than threat was risk to the industry, is if Apple woke up tomorrow and decided to do something very drastic, it would dramatically change the industry as we know it. Literally with the snap of a finger, like it, 
That's all it would take. Apple could just wake up and just close everything down tomorrow and everything would change forever. That's how big they have a hold on this particular marketplace. Google does not have that hold at this particular point in time. And I don't know what their long-term plans are. They still seem to be talking big about it. They still they're they're their main, their lead podcast guy is still going out to conferences and speaking at conferences about their interest in the podcasting space. But since they announced the native podcasting app on Android devices, on Android phones, we should say, only mobile, it's still not on desktop, they've done nothing. Or at least not done nothing outwardly. Maybe they've done more inwardly. Maybe they're looking to make an acquisition like this to make a bigger outward appearance. I don't know. Ultimately, it just it ultimately it always will come down to dollars and cents. Do they believe that if they were to make an acquisition at three, let's say three hundred million dollars, they were to invest three hundred million dollars in acquiring a company, would they make a ripple in their bottom line that would make sense for them to put that that amount of money? And I don't know if they see it that way. I don't so think bizarre. I don't think either of them see it that way. No, I think I think it's clear that they don't. If they if they did at all, they would have uh, either or both of them would have already moved. Um, I think I I do wonder if this big move from Spotify will rattle their cages and and make one of them turn around. Um, here's the last prediction from Nathan. This is a bonus. Let me. Uh, he says Spotify's let me, data. Let me yeah, just go, say one go more ahead. thing. Jump, jump in there, Jay. Sorry to jump in, but I know this just came to my thought because I've been talking about the money tree and and how they could literally plant a money tree, and I can use publicly uh, afforded data to explain what I'm talking about. Cumulus announced way back, I think, in November or December that they had made they had jumped from one million a year in podcasting revenue to ten million. A year in podcasting revenue, and I was talking to another radio executive who said, "I don't, I don't buy it. There's no way that they could have made a ten-time jump in a year span." I used that. I used all the information that was available on how many downloads they were getting to their podcasts. I estimated about how many podcasts that they were doing, put it into my handy-dandy calculator, and figured out: well, not only is it possible that they could have made that ten-time jump, but they should have been making twelve million dollars a year based on the publicly afforded numbers that are out there. That's what I'm talking about with this money tree. There is the way to make a significant amount of dollars if you have a large enough platform. If you're a smaller podcaster, you're not going to make $12 million, but you're going to be able to make something. You're going to be where you're currently making nothing. So that's what I'm talking about with this money tree, is that if Apple decided to do this same thing and make it available to the entirety of the podcasting industry, everyone that is on the Apple platform would have access to this tree. Apple would make, I mean, based on the numbers that we've seen, you know what? I will do it. The share of ear from Edison, I believe, is coming out here in the next month or so. When those numbers come out, I will give you the number that the entire industry could be making at a bare minimum. And and for Apple, it will be. I guarantee it's somewhere in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I would. I was. I was figuring. I mean, if you just look at the 
what we've seen in the past, you would have to think at least two or three hundred million. And yes, that is chump change compared to their quarterly revenues and profits. I understand that. But at the same time, what they are currently under the gun for with Wall Street is growth. Growth specifically in the services uh, aspect of their uh, market. So like I don't know. I mean, this is out there. It's just literally a spigot they could turn on an extra three hundred million next quarter. That could, you know, you know, they could have in the the uh, the record books. Uh, anyway, okay. Here's the last one. Spotify uh, will Spotify's data will enable Gimlet to make incredibly smart acquisitions. Listener growth and retention are probably great leading indicators of long term success. You mentioned this last week. Now Spotify is just going to be looking at those stats and anybody whose show is popular on Spotify, they're going to get that phone call. Hey, hey, would you like to be a Spotify original? Um, absolutely. Gimlet will be able to use this and target just like Netflix does. If you think about some of the things that Netflix makes as originals, I'll see, I'll see an advertisement for a new Netflix original movie or a new Netflix original series. And I'm like, I feel like they made that just for me like it's you know it's like a a brunette female samurai lost in time teamed with a you know a funny robot who's a gay sidekick and they're off on an adventure to find uh you know justice in whatever and i'm like those are all the things that i put on my keyword list how do they know that how do they make shows like that it's because they have all your data and not just your data but everyone else who watches netflix right they know which episodes of cheers you prefer they know the people that like old episodes of cheers also watch this episode of this new series and they also watch this which features that actor or situations like that etc cetera, etc cetera. so yes spotify will be doing those exact same things with audio and gimlet will be using that to make smart acquisitions with spotify's money it is uh the rich will get richer, particularly in the audio world. Those big and look, they're not going to be the only ones, right? This is what public, uh, uh, not NPR, uh, PRX. This is what PRX does, right? This is the reason why everybody wants to have their own app. It's the reason why everybody wants to have their own API. It's one of the benefits, theoretically, to um, you know the the tracking that uh, some of these big companies are looking at doing. It's it's all about better targeting just like amazon they feed you that ad 15 times so that you go and spend another 15 dollars with them podcasters want to do the same thing uh i don't think it's i don't think it's a bad we thing got an art- no well we've got an article from forbes and again this 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 is all tied in where iHeartRadio is now launching their personalization engine mm. and it's be and they know what they're doing they release an article like this out there to let podcasters know because po- what's the big thing podcasters oh there's no discoverability it's hard to discover podcasts well if you release that hey if you're on our app we can provide that discoverability we're going to give you recommendations for new podcasts to listen to that aren't just the podcast that you're currently listening to well that's great but by doing that you now increase the number of people that are on that particular app and you're increasing the amount of data that you're getting from those people which is much more valuable behind besides just a recommendation engine for podcasters. Uh, absolutely. Let's so let's move over to that and you can find this link by the way from forbes.com in the show notes as well. Uh, iHeartRadio announcing their new podcast recommendation engine. How does it work, Jay? Uh, what what does iHeart bring to the table that everybody else doesn't? Well, first of all, they bring a lot of radio listeners, right? They bring 250 million listeners a month. That's what they say anyway. You and I have talked before about the perhaps scurrilous nature of some radio statistics. But what we do feel confident in is 
120 million registered users of their audio streaming service. So they're, they've already got 120 million registered users of their app that are using that app to access their radio and podcast content today. That's a lot of people. And when you compare it to the numbers of Pandora or Spotify, it's uh, pretty favorable. I mean, it's right up there with them. Um, and like Spotify, I think like Pandora, these are not people that are currently listening to a great deal of podcasts in general, I would say. Don't you think? Um, well, there's there's been studies on the uh, the crossover between the radio listener and the podcast listener. I am of the belief that the more people that find out about podcasts will become less likely to listen to the radio. That's sort of my theory. Um, that's sort of what got me involved in podcasting. Once I started getting into podcasting, I listened to a lot less radio. Uh, for instance, I was out doing my new job, Uber Eats. If you live in the uh, greater Connecticut area, you might get a visit from Pod Vader delivering your McDonald's to you, uh, courtesy of the Pod Vader mobile. Uh, in any case, I was listening to a po- I was listening to podcasts the entire day. I wasn't I didn't have the radio on. I had my I had an earbud in and uh, delivering warm, tasty food to everyone, making smiles on people's faces. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, what Joshua Dudley here, who wrote this article for Forbes, mentions about his experience with the recommendation app is that it starts uh, sort of slowly as it learns more and more about you, as it, as you get involved with the app, the app will become smarter as to what it really should be recommending to you. And he mentions that early on, a lot of the recommendations were <clears throat> iHeart radio podcast award winners. <laughs> of course that's, but see, that's, that's my point in what I was saying earlier is that Getting onto their app is beneficial for them. You being on their app is beneficial for them. And I think Marco mentions this a lot about uh, about this when he's taught when he's raving against all of these localized uh, advertisements that are coming your way from a lot of different areas. Is that the more and more that you start getting involved in some of these apps, the more information you're giving these companies, which is much more valuable to them other than a recommendation engine. They can take that information and they can sell it. Now, I believe they say that they don't use that information for selling, but they do. I mean, it's, uh, and I'm not even saying this particular company, I'm saying any particular place where you're willingly giving your information to, you just have to understand what that information is being used for other than what they say it's being used for because well, it, it is being used for and it's about things. what it could and be then, used for in the future too right because at any point right. you get new corporate overlords you have a merger there's a different corporate strategy and then all of a sudden the company that before said we're never going to sell this data we use the data internally all of a sudden then they're farming it out and you've got catalogs pitching to your email address or whatever right and they send and they send you a change of policy and you go oh yeah click accept you don't even read it and in in there it says, oh, we're now going to use your data for other means. It's just, I'm not saying, I don't believe that every, everything is necessarily has some sort of evil intent. It's just understanding what you're, what you're giving to a company to get, you know, a minor thing in return. And then ultimately, as he said, he did say that the recommendations did get better and better the more he used the app. It was it was things that he would check out, but then he also noted 
Uh, I think iHeart doesn't have the entire podcast universe on their platform at this particular point. I think they only have maybe one third of the active universe currently on their app. Yeah, uh, which some crazy at. small number. It's down here at the bottom. Okay, he says uh, uh, Chris, one of the executives from iHeart, told him that they have about twenty five thousand of the most known, requested, and active podcasts represented. Twenty, like. Okay, <laughs> we've talked in the past. The real number is something like six hundred thousand, and then probably active podcast is closer to like three hundred thousand, maybe. But they don't have a tenth of the actual podcast catalog and library out there available in their app. So that's this is a very very small uh, section of the ecosphere. If that number is true, then I'm very disappointed in Next Fan Up because we are on the iHeart Radio platform <laughs> and we should be getting a lot more listens than we currently are, especially from iHeart Radio. Um, so the interesting thing to me here, Jay, is that they focus on the fact that their app will really highlight in a way it sounds to me similar to what um pandora does you know pandora talks about the music genome project and they're working on a similar thing for podcasts what is in the mu what is the content of the music etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, are they only working on that podcast genome in the last 10 years though yeah, that's my yeah. question <laughs> they've, they've been that's right well they, they've only gone back 10 years they forgot about the five or six before that so the deal with iHeart's uh, recommendation engine, it's going to focus on sort of not the content itself, but the listener, I think, is more the direction that they're looking. Who is the listener and what time of day do they listen to this type of content? What other content do they listen to? And sort of um, comparing that against each other and trying to use that to build the recommendation engine. It's interesting to me. And the one thing that I do see as potential here is the fact that this is working for an audience that I think, again, largely isn't listening to podcasts yet, right? So if we look at the next, you know, 250,000 people listening to podcasts, if we look at the next million people listening to podcasts, I think a lot of them aren't listening at all currently. They don't even want to necessarily. And so we're going to have to approach them sideways. And these ideas, the ideas of like, what kinds of content are you listening to and what time of day are you listening to it and let's just put something in front of you i think that might be an interesting way to grab some some new people with podcasts that they didn't think of of course iheart's big play right now which by the way i haven't listened to it yet i'll try to listen and, and maybe have some thoughts on it next week have you listened to the ron burgundy show yet no See, i probably won't it's well it's not really for me i don't like i enjoyed the movie i liked anchorman as much as the next guy but i didn't watch the whatever the side cool thing that they made they was like an extra one i never saw that I did. I don't think I watched the sequel at all. Um, I don't. I don't love it, you know. And I do think it was. It's not what I like in podcasting, you know. Like what I like about podcasting is the intimate nature of it, the um, the direct nature, the the fact. Okay, in this article, they bring up the um, the show with Dax Shepard, and uh, he brings up the show with Conan O'Brien. They talk about Conan O'Brien needs a friend. He he mentions the fact that uh, it really touched me hearing. Conan O'Brien bare his soul a little bit to people that he had made friends with in his comedy career. That's what I listen to podcasts for. And the Ron Burgundy show isn't going to have any of that, you know? So like, <laughs> that's not, well, I always go back. I always go back to Tom Webster's uh, keynote speech at podcast movement and talking about the differences between the top shows you see on television and the top shows that you see in podcasting and how, different it is and how different the audiences are and understanding that podcasting currently is 
not even when we talk about one tenth of podcasts in the iHeartRadio platform, podcasting isn't even one tenth of the spec of audience that's watching television right now. So understanding where all those audiences are and what it is, he mentions as as carefully as he can uh, that podcasting needs that highly polished piece of crap uh, to garner more earbuds uh, to the platforms. And a Ron Burgundy, that might actually do it. That, that could be that highly polished piece of crap that will do it. Now, that said, you would think that that podcast would target me, but I'm not really, uh, I'm, I'm past it. But that, I do love, like, one of my favorite shows on television before he ended up at CBS was the was the Colbert Report. I enjoyed watching the satire, the, the news presented to me in a different manner because it was presented to me with a satiric uh, comedy uh, character as the center of, of the news delivery. So while, while you watch it, you're still getting the information that you need uh, based on the news of the day, but it's being presented to you in a much more entertaining fashion. If the Ron Burgundy show, and I, like I said, I haven't listened to it, so I have no idea. If that if that's something similar, if he's presenting sort of the news of the day in the Ron Burgundy character, perhaps it is something that I'd be interested in. You know what? Now I'm going to have to go listen to it, and I'll come back with a review next week. <laughs> All right, there we go. We'll both listen to it. Tell you what we think of of Ron Burgundy. I do. I I'm with you. I think it's great when uh, big celebrities get into the space. I think it's great when big media companies see our space as interesting and and worth their efforts. And and so, uh, kudos uh, all the way around. I'm I'm happy to watch things grow. We'll see how the show is, Joel. Joel, I only have one more. I was yeah, going to say we, we need to wrap thing. up. We want to get to the the paid listens. No, actually, I, I, okay. we, we can save that one for later. I want to get to the uh, the link. This was a cartoon that was shared with the uh, podcast movement community uh, quite a number of weeks ago. Um, uh, and, of course, I'm not signed into Facebook, so I can't see it. But it was uh, the, 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 the sad but true part of it was it's very funny because it's true, uh, the, the joke of the, of the strip. I've got it pulled up here. So the the link is in our show notes. You can see it uh, directly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to try to embed it in the chapter. See if you can see it as the chapter image right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at the top it says new to podcasts, choose a genre. And then there are six laid out and all of them are uh, drawn out as little cartoon figures in front of a microphone or a couple of microphones. And then there's a description of what that show and genre is below it. So the first one is libertarian Bropra evangelizes DMT and interviews right-wing YouTube trolls. Yes, we're all very familiar with that show. Uh, the next one is my favorite. Man with no academic credentials yells about a history book he read in nine-hour installments. <laughs> uh, I know the producer for that show. Um, seemingly, the next one, seemingly nice, normal adults playfully chit-chat about gruesome murder. <laughs> It's like two sweet moms sitting there on the microphone. Um, the next one, nerds recap a show you've already seen, and somehow it's longer than the actual TV episode. <laughs> That's so, my favorite one. So my, I listened to a show called Cheesecake Chat about the Golden Girls. It's a rewatch Golden Girls podcast, and my wife was all excited. She was going to listen to it with me, and we listened to two episodes, and at the end of the second one, she goes, so is every episode going to be like an hour and change? <laughs> and she said, you know, the show is only like 22 minutes long. <laughs> um, the next one is 30 com comedians yelling over each other. I have heard those shows. I do not care for them. That is not a show that I listen to. And then the final one, uh, I think, um, 
is uh, he's recently uh, interviewed a president, I think, like NPR's Fresh Air, but by a depressed comedian who probably has cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that sums it up, right? I, I, who, where do we fall in? I guess yeah, we're podcasting. We're nerds recapping a show uh, that you've already seen, and somehow it's longer than the actual TV episode. I guess that's where we fall, maybe. Yeah, people might wonder, people might question our academic skills, too. That, that might be <laughs> Very good point. We're a man with no <laughs> academic credentials yelling about a history book we read. There you go. All right, yeah. I'm going to save that uh, image. It's in the show notes, too. Uh, but yeah, it is part of the uh, Podcast Movement Facebook community, uh, which, by the way, congratulations to them. They're huge now. It's like 14,000 members or something. I don't know. They had an announcement 19. the other day. 19,000 people. It's 19. um, You know, interestingly, I saw a, a post... Somebody did the research and found like the six top Facebook communities uh, yes. for podcasting, uh, and I think Facebook um, podcast movement is is number one ninth, with nineteen thousand members. Yes. I think that's the biggest. That someone was a uh, Voxness Spreaker. They, uh, they oh look they, at that! I didn't. Did that. I saw the image. I didn't see where it came from though. Yep. There you go. Uh, All right, Uh, folks, we will be back next week with more podcasting news, including a discussion of uh, Public Radio's year one paid listens. They've been reporting on how their first year of um, figuring out this whole monetization thing for podcasters, because nobody else has ever done it before. Uh, We'll see how that one works out for them next week. Jay, do you have anything to add? Oh, we need to get to our recommendations. Let's tell people what we're listening to this week. Um, Since I was in New Orleans... Uh, I listened to my good friend, Mark Bologna, and his podcast, Beyond Bourbon Street. Uh, and there's a link for this in the show notes. Uh, but if you're ever taking a trip to New Orleans, he is the place to get all the info. The most recent episode was really, really cool in particular. Um, it was uh, episode 52, free, no, excuse me, 52 free or nearly free things to do in New Orleans. That was episode number 82. But th- he just literally runs down. You could do this and that thing and the other thing. And so the wife and I on this uh, brief little trip to the city we actually took him up on a couple of those and uh saved some cash in the offing too so a uh, great podcast for you beyond bourbonstreet.com my favorite genre of podcasts are the ones that uh you sit and listen to and they're longer than the actual episodes that you watched on television uh and so in that vein i present to you challenge mania Uh, which is an MTV Challenge recap show hosted by a former Challenge contestant himself, uh, Derek. uh, Not Maybe not the Derek that you're thinking of, but uh, Derek and his buddy Scott, they they recap the MTV Challenge program. Now, if you are unaware of the MTV Challenge program, uh, this was created in its original day. It was the Real World versus Road Rules Challenge. Uh, where they took people that were on the real world program uh, and put them against the people that were on the road rules program. And they had uh, a little battle and uh, they, you know, the real world people were better than the road rules people, vice versa. It's since evolved since those two programs have also, I think they're gone. I don't know if real world is gone yet. I know road rules is Uh, what MTV has done now is they're taking reality television contestants from all different television programs, Big Brother, they do have a lot, this particular season, a lot of uh, European um, 
reality television stars, and they're putting them into a house uh, where <laughs> social implications, uh, especially when alcohol is involved, tend to explode. Uh, and then they put them in uh, other sorts of various physical challenges where somebody you're, you're just waiting for the day that the news report comes out that somebody has died in performing one of these crazy physical challenges that they've set up for these contestants to perform. And at the end of the day, one person will win. Last season, uh, they put they put couples together uh, and they had a million dollar prize that they were going to split. And they gave the contestant uh, who had a better performing time the choice of keeping all of the money or splitting it with her partner. And spoiler alert, she kept all the money. <laughs> you want to talk about great television? Go ahead and watch that finale. <laughs> That's crazy. Not the first time it's happened either. There was another time that uh, another contestant, Johnny Bananas, uh, did the exact same thing. I'm telling you, there is nothing better to watch than when an evil person <laughs> says, I'm going to keep it all, TJ. <laughs> that's, that's, that is uh, all right then. Okay. Well, there's your pick from Jay. Uh, check out your MTV challenge. Uh, I, you know, I, listen, I'm not much on reality TV, but that actually, I'm going to have to maybe go see that episode. Just a root, just a response from the partner. What is the car ride home like, Jay? What is the car ride home like? Oh, there is no car ride home. <laughs> <laughs> like, at that point, the one who's got all the money's taking a private jet somewhere far, far away, and the other one's crying in their milk, going, What the hell? How did this happen? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. Until uh, next episode, uh, go and check those shows out. And uh, remember, you can always find us at alwayslisteningpod.com. Uh, you can follow uh, Jay on Twitter at The Real Pod Vader. Also on Facebook now, facebook.com slash podvader page, uh, where I've now set up the Podvader podcasting solutions because well, everybody's got a podcasting solution these days. I might as well have one too. You got to, exactly. But also there's links for that in the show notes too. You can find him there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life or anytime at propodcastingservices.com. Uh, until next time, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. And we are always listening. Yeah, I know I ain't seen it all, but I've seen enough. Yeah, I know I ain't seen it all, but I've seen enough. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all our reviews by searching Always Listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or Google App. Also, you can find us anytime at alwayslisteningpod.com or email us at alwayslisteningpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Enough by Bethany Rayburn.
Two Guys and a Rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.